Welcome back to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. Today, we welcome pharmacist Kelly Nentwich to the show. Kelly is a menopause lifestyle coach and teaches women in perimenopause and menopause how to lose weight, balance hormones, and prevent chronic disease as they age so they can stop suffering through this phase, get back their life, and live their life to the fullest potential. Today, we're talking about menopause lifestyle changes. And during our conversation, we talk about how Kelly reversed rheumatoid arthritis, the moment that changed everything for her, how changing her eating was the basis for everything, not starting at the end, where to start to make a change, how quitting smoking helped with all of her symptoms, and stay to the end to find out the number one question to ask yourself before making a change. At the end of the episode, make sure you visit drmichellegordon.com forward slash podcasts, where you can find the show notes, plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you like the episode, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you're always the first to know when each episode is released. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for all of the five-star reviews. If you haven't left a review yet, please take the time to review the podcast because this helps other women to find it and get the help they need during the disruption of menopause because no one should have to go it alone. And thanks again for being a part of the menopause movement. I do invite you to open a conversation with me on Instagram at Dr. Michelle Gordon. I'd love to talk to you. Now let's get to Kelly. Kelly, welcome to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm so, so glad to have you here. We, we are both menopause coaches and, and this is super, super exciting. Um, I am so happy to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah. So when menopause hit me, I was, you know, I'm a doctor, right? Mm-hmm. And my wife is a doctor. She's an intern. I'm a surgeon, so I have a little bit of an excuse, but she's an internist. <laughs> and so she does primary care. And so I'm like, I'm like, like, what is happening to me? Like I'm, I'm laying on the couch and like all of a sudden I'm having this flush, right? And 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 I feel like I'm embarrassed, but I'm not embarrassed. I don't feel anything. And then it's I'm crying at the commercials. I'm like, this is not me. I don't cry at anything. <laughs> and okay, and so then and then it was like 50 pounds that just oh. came out of the blue. And so I'm like, okay, what is going on? And so then everybody's like, okay, it's it's menopause. I'm like, all right, fine, no problem. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's something that we're all gonna go through, but it was all well you just have to suffer through it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I don't. No, mm-hmm. I don't. And, and then they're like, well, it's, you know, it's going to end. And so as I did my research, okay, and probably I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you have a similar story, but as I did my research, I realized that menopause can last 20 years or more, or mm-hmm. it can la- the symptoms can last for the rest of your life. And I was like, well, this is not, I'm not going to be suffering for the rest of my life. No, no way. And so that was the impetus for the menopause movement. And so I, I, I took several years, I mean, at least three years to study. And I started applying the principles to my life. Mm-hmm. And in, what happened for me was not only did I have a physical transformation, I was able to drop 50 pounds and fit into my premenopause clothes. And I started to exercise and do, you know, I do, I'm also a triathlete, you're a triathlete. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't compete, but I, I mean, I, I compete a little, but it, that's not the reason I do it. I mean, I right, same here. My, same to keep here. my brain healthy, mm-hmm. but not only that, but my whole outlook on life changed. 
And not mm-hmm. only that, menopause was the impetus for me to leave surgery behind. I mean, I don't even, I, I, I retired from surgery in July. Mm-hmm. At the end of July this year, this is, you know, we're, we're probably airing, you're probably airing close to February actually at this point. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'll, I will have been retired for a while, but I, I was just, you know, with, with the pandemic and with the changes that happened in medicine, I had a private practice and just, it's just not hard to make a living doing private practice now. And I just did not want to go and be an employee. And so I said, okay, what else can I do? And that's how the menopause movement got started. That's awesome. That yeah, is awesome. It? I love to hear that. I absolutely love to hear that. Yeah. So go ahead. Oh, no. So my, my, my journey into it was a little different in that I actually, my, my journey started, let's say, uh, 19 years ago after the birth of my son, who's my third child. At that time, I got very, very sick and I was having every symptom you pretty much can think of. I was having migraines. I was having stomach troubles, but, but one of the worst symptoms I was having was joint pain. And it was so bad that there were many mornings where I couldn't get up to take care of my children. So my husband would have to take off from work, rearrange his work schedule to take care of them. I couldn't lift the babies out of their cribs. It was, it was a mess. So I was at that time going to many different doctors. So, you know, if you have a headache, they send you to this doctor. Mm-hmm. If you have stomach problems, they send you to this doctor and, and so on and so forth. So I was going back and forth to all these different doctors with different symptoms. And all they were simply doing were writing me a prescription. And I kind of felt like we're not getting to the root. And I actually felt like the medications were making me worse. But every doctor said to me, no, that's not, that's not possible. The medications are there to help you. And I kept saying, no, I feel like, I feel like it's getting worse. I'd like to interject something here about the medical estate. Where do you live? In what town? What state? Virginia. You're in Virginia. Okay. As a doctor in America, we're taught how to manage diseases. We are not taught healthcare. And that is so, so, so important. And when, when we go to the doctor as women specifically, even other women will dismiss, dismiss us as hysterical women. Yes. And that's where, that's where our own self-advocacy really, really is important. And so if, yes. you are, if you are a woman who is suffering from the symptoms of menopause, or maybe you're having joint pain, because a lot of women will have joint pain as a symptom of menopause, and you don't feel like you're getting the answers you need from your doctor, it is okay. I give you permission, uh, although you don't need it from me, to shop your doctors because mm-hmm. doctors are not taught how to really put all of these things together. And a lot of people think that menopause, the suffering that comes from menopause is in our brains, and it is not. Mm-hmm. So menopause is the probably the most disruptive time in a woman's life, second only to puberty. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I totally agree yeah. with that. Yeah. And at that time, I was searching for answers outside of myself, and I was sure. searching for them in the medical system. And I ended up the joint pain because it was the most severe out of all of my symptoms. So a rheumatologist that was recommended that I see a rheumatologist and they tested me uh, for rheumatoid arthritis. And so I had never even heard of rheumatoid arthritis before. I was 32 years old at the time. Arthritis, that's for old people. What, what, you know, what is arthritis? And mm-hmm. so when I met with the rheumatologist and she explained it's an autoimmune disease, and she said, you know, there's not much that you can do for it. So prepare for disability. You're going to have to get shots. Here's some medication. And at the time, I just want to paint this quick picture for you. Out of all of the doctors that I saw, sitting in front of me. I was clearly not a healthy person. I was 80 pounds more than I weigh now. I smoked a pack of cigarettes a day. I had a very unhealthy relationship with food. I had a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol. 
I was stressed beyond belief as the mom of three children, four and under. I was, so clearly I wasn't sleeping, uh, which is, of course, as we know, is such a big part of our overall health. And not one doctor, not one, talked to me about my diet or my lifestyle. Yeah. So, you know, I thought that was a little odd. And back then, not knowing what I know now, I said to the rheumatologist, I said, well, I, clearly I know I'm overweight. I said, what if I was to lose a few pounds? Would that help? You know, I don't have a medical degree, but it just seemed like common sense. It might relieve some of the, you know, stress on my joints. And she said, no, your diet and lifestyle have nothing to do with your RA. And <laughs> these are your only options. Now, again, this is 19 years ago. I don't know right. if that's changed. Were the, if, were the biologics just coming out back then, like Humira? And, yes. The one yeah. that they put me on was actually taken off the market within a year. Uh, wow. I can't remember which one it was at that time. But they had put me on something that was then taken off the market about a year later. So I ended up laying in bed one morning shortly after this thinking, this is my destiny. This is it. I had lost all hope. I've been told at 32 years old. The other thing I was told by the doctor is, you're getting older. These things are to be expected. And I thought, older? I'm 32 years old. That's not old. So I'm laying in bed one morning and my four-year-old comes up to the side of my bed and she says, mommy, why can't you get out of the bed to take care of us? And it was in that moment that I thought, this is not my destiny. This is not my future. That There is something that I have to do that can help myself. I didn't know what that was going to look like. I didn't know how much I could help myself. I just was determined that I was going to try to be as proactive as I could with my health. So now, of course, rem remember, this is 19 years ago. We didn't have Google like we do now, right? It was in its very early infancy. So that's the, you know, the, begin, the beginnings of the internet with the IRC, the <laughs> yeah. chat rooms, and yeah. and people yeah. like you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so picture this: I had to do it the old-fashioned way. I had to go to the library. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, yeah. The Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. And I had to start taking out books, and I had to start reading about these different things. And I I was determined that if I lost weight, at least I might just be able to take some pressure off my joints. Mm -hmm. So it led me down this very long rabbit hole of nutrition and, and diet and exercise. And, and, and long story short, fast forward about two years later, I was starting to get a little healthier. I still had the RA, but I was able to manage it. I was able to come off the medication, but I still was having flare-ups. So if anybody who's uh, familiar with RA, what ends up happening is, is, you know, you'll have like one joint's affected in one hand. So, you know, you wake up one day and for the whole day, you've got your right wrist is, you know, you're in severe pain with your right wrist. And then the next day you wake up and that pain is now not in the right wrist, but it's in the left wrist. And so you think you're going at, you know, you think you're going crazy because you're saying, well, wait a second, I think the pain was there. The pain was in my right wrist yesterday, but now it's in my left wrist and so on. Mm -hmm. So on top of all this, the doctors, of course, you know, are trying to tell you that a lot of your symptoms might be in your head and that kind of thing. So that's a, that's a lot to deal with. But as I fast forward about two years later, my oldest daughter got very sick and she was going through a very similar situation where she was starting to get migraines. She was having tummy troubles. And so, and now at this point, she's only six and she's literally, her body's pretty much breaking down. And so I would take her to the pediatrician. Pediatrician would say, well, for her migraines, we're going to send her to a neurologist. For her stomach, we're going to send her to the pediatric gastroenterologist. And it was kind of the same thing with her. We were going to all these different specialists. And we ended up one evening with one of her symptoms that she had, which was a severe cough. But when I say severe, I mean, it was, she was coughing 13, 14, 15 hours a day. Wow. And we were in the pediatric ER here locally by us. And they brought in tons of specialists. Nobody could figure out why she had this cough that just wouldn't stop. And so 
uh, again, we had spent months going from doctor to doctor. And finally, after being there all day, they sent us home with a drug just to knock her out because when she slept, she didn't cough. And I said to the doctor, well, what do I do tomorrow when she wakes up and she starts this cough again that nobody can figure out what's causing it? And he said, I don't know what to tell you. So I literally was sent home with this child who they gave me medication to put to sleep and nobody had any answers for me. And it, we got home and before I, I had filled the prescription on the way home, before I gave it to her, she looked at me and she said to me, mommy, can you help me? Nobody's been able to help fix me. And again, it was one of those pivotal moments yeah. where I just, I just went into, I went into overdrive. Like I need to help her. Nobody else is been able to help her. So at this point, we're a couple of years later. So Google, you know, it's a little, little more robust than what it was. Isn't anything like it is today. So I stayed up all night long. I started going down all these rabbit holes. And this thing kept popping up about celiac disease and gluten. And, and she was checking off all these boxes with all of her symptoms that we had spent the last year and a half going from doctor to doctor with. And I remember thinking, well, I mean, I, don't, I had no idea what celiac was. I had no idea what gluten. I mean, I literally had never heard of any of this before because, again, we're going back many years ago. And I remember right. waking up the next morning and I called because she had a pediatric gastroenterologist that we were seeing because she had so many stomach problems. I called him the next, his office the next day and I said, I want to test it for this thing called celiac disease. And he said, oh, Mrs. Nantwich, that's a gluten-free thing. That's a fad. That's the thing they do out in California. It's a fad <laughs> diet. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I've never heard of it before. And, and that, that might be the case. I don't know. But clearly my child, nobody's been able to help her. I want her tested for this. So and long story short, tested. She came back positive for celiac disease. Doctor says to me on the phone, it's positive. Get yourself tested, your husband, it's genetic, your other children, and good luck because it's a really hard lifestyle to live. And that was pretty much the end of the conversation. Well, so let's just, let's, let, me just, let me just address that for, for, for yeah. people. So celiac has come into, you know, gluten, gluten specifically has come into the Western culture, America, as this big demon. And celiac disease is not the same as gluten insensitivity. So I want to make sure that we, right. that for, for the listeners, that we really separate this. Celiac sprue is a genetic issue that we see. We see it and, and that is a true gluten intolerance. Most people can tolerate gluten and gluten is a protein that is served in Japan just as a protein. The problem comes from American wheat. American wheat is genetically modified to produce bigger kernels to have Roundup in it. So there's a lot of issues with American wheat. And if you're somebody who travels a lot like me, I don't have the same sorts of problems when I travel to Europe and eat mm -hmm. wheat-based foods. And it's, it's, so it's really interesting. And in America, because of our corporate philosophies, the, the corporations that run the food lobby, we, we, we use our food differently. We, we find ways to make oils out of the seed remnants of cotton that we then feed to people, but they're really, really poisonous. That We find ways to make sugar out of corn that's left over, but that's also poisonous and can lead to non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Mm -hmm. And we find ways to make our wheat uh, you know, something that, that is, is intolerable for most of us. So I just don't want people who are the, the, the audience who's listening, I don't want you to confuse celiac disease with gluten intolerance. Gluten intolerance is a big deal. And, and, you know, there's the whole, the whole leaky gut thing, which is a plus minus, but, and I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but, but <laughs> celiac, celiac is a genetic abnormality that is not common. 
it's like less than 1% of the population. So let's, you know, I just want to make sure. So if you and your husband and your daughter all have it, it's, it's because of the way your genes have been expressed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it ended up my husband doesn't have it, but my other two children do. So, but before I got my other two tested, she was the only one that had to follow this really strict diet. And again, we're going back at this point, 17, 16 years ago, and the FDA still had not passed the law where the top eight allergens had to be listed on food products. So you couldn't just go into a grocery store and buy something that said gluten-free on it, which actually was a blessing in disguise. And I didn't realize it at that time, but grocery shopping at that time meant I had to go with a 13 page PDF printed off of all of the ingredients where gluten could be, it could be a form of gluten. It was a nightmare trying to grocery shop and trying to do that that long ago when there was really no information out there. But what I ended up doing, and the reason why I call it a blessing in disguise is because I had to start doing something I had never done in my entire life. And that was take a package off of a grocery shelf, turn it around and actually read the ingredient label. I had never done that in my entire life. I'm a product of the 70s and the 80s. And I would look at a package. Oh, it's fat free. It's salt free. It's, you know, oh, it must be healthy. Uh, You know, and so never in my life up until that point had I read an ingredient label. And was it mind boggling? (laughs) Well, I think it's really important to point this out that that in in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and I mean, I was born in the 60s and we trusted the government, right? We trusted the government a lot more than we trust the government now in America. And if they said fat is not good, thanks Ansel Keys, then we listened, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, and then you see, actually, when you look at the, the diabetes, you know, it all starts with when we started to demonize fat. And that's, that's another story altogether. But it, it's just so interesting that, that we believe the government, but the government was still back then even being run by corporations, just Absolutely. as much as it is now. And, and so it's, it's important that we really understand what we're putting in our mouths and how what we put in our mouths affects our gene expression. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not that simple. You know, we used to think that, you know, once we're, once we were born and, and, and our genes, you know, inc- were encoded to build what we have, that there's, there's nothing, that there's no changes. But we know from the science of epigenetics, which is this mm-hmm. little teeny bit at the top, that we can change how our genes are expressed, which is what that means is the, the proteins that our genes make by things that are as simple as what we choose to think and what mm-hmm. we choose to put in our mouths. And so it's super, super important to pay attention and keep the chemicals out so you don't have that metabolic shitstorm, so they say. <laughs> Absolutely. Could not agree more. And that's what we ended up finding out because we had to change over our diets And I am an all or nothing person. It serves me well in lots of areas of my life and maybe not so well in other areas. But I will tell you, when I was on a mission to help my child, I was all in. And so this Mm -hmm. house became, we went all in with whole foods, right? So if I didn't know what the ingredient was on a package, it stayed on the shelf. I didn't buy it. And I started cooking more and eating real whole foods. And it was amazing in such a short amount of time the transformation, not just in my daughter's health, but in my health. And then once I got my other two kids on board with it, it was absolutely amazing to me. All of the things, and I mean all of the things that I was told were normal parts of childhood for my children. And I'll give you an example, chronic ear infections, chronic strep infections. I I had a child who had eczema. All of these things went away. They went away. They totally went away. I was, it, it, it was mind blowing to me, actually. It was actually, I, I was actually, I didn't believe it at first. I thought, how can this possibly be? How can the food that we're eating 
be affecting our health at such an, a, an enormous amount. My joint pain, completely gone. It, the energy that I had, the brain fog that lifted that I never even knew I had been walking around for so long because I, it just became a normal part of my everyday life. My, I was thinking, my stress, of course, now this, you know, this trickles down to your sleep. I was able to sleep better now. I wasn't having the hot flashes that I was struggling with. It was amazing. And when you start to feel so good, you want to shout it from the rooftops because then I start, I'm watching so many women around me suffering and it breaks my heart to see them suffering. And they're not, they weren't getting the information, especially back then. I think the conversation has changed a lot in, I have to say in the last you know, 16, 17, 16 years since I've really started this. It hasn't changed enough, but we're moving in the right direction. And we so, are. Yeah. And yeah. It, so I, I want to just remind the listeners that way, way, way back, this dude named Hippocrates, smart he, said, dude. He, was a smart he said, dude. let food be thy medicine. And for some reason, we got away from that as physicians, as healthcare people. And I have to say that, that if you're looking for a doctor who will be your partner in your healthcare, one of the best ways, places to go for a partner, a doctor partner or a nurse practitioner partner is the Weill Center for Integrative Medicine. And you can go to that that website. And there's, he's trained doctors all over the world now in the Integrated Medicine Fellowship. There's even a board for it now. And the thing is, is what they've done is they've, they've taken Eastern and Western and they've merged them. And there's a lot of really awesome things that come out of Ayurveda. There's a lot of really awesome things that come out of traditional Chinese medicine. Sure. There's a lot of really sure. awesome things that come from the Amazon and shamanism. And this isn't about belief or religion. This is about what has worked historically. Mm -hmm. but, but when you, when you look at the health of a civilization, it always goes back to what they eat. Mm -hmm. And there's a really good book that I want to recommend called Deep Nutrition by Dr. Kate Shanahan. If you haven't read it, go read it because it is all about the four pillars of the human diet. And she, she goes and looks at how the people who just eat regionally mm -hmm. don't have crowded teeth mm -hmm. they i mean so there's there's a lot of really interesting things and they're and they're healthy mm -hmm. and they don't get chronic diseases you know? mm -hmm. and remember again in america we're in the business of you know health management disease management yeah. not health yes. but disease management because yes. pharmacies pharmaceuticals and the mm -hmm. pharmaceutical companies don't make money if we cure diabetes right if we mm -hmm. get people to stop eating sugar 80 pounds you know, or more 160 pounds per year now per person. If you could give your pancreas a rest, you may not, you may not get, you may not get diabetes. So yeah. So anyway, let's move back to, so your medical, medical system only offered medications. So let's medications, talk about your, yeah, let's talk about your rheumatoid arthritis then. So, so you, you started discovering whole foods. Do you grow your own food? No, I tried that and I'm awful at it. <laughs> Okay. We all have our strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> and fine. Grow my own food. And I look at it this way. Somebody has to support the local farmers. That's me. So yeah, that's great. <laughs> I, I buy from my local farmers when I can. So, you know, I'd like to, I got really, really comfortable with my produce department. It was, it was amazing. Cause honestly, before all this happened, I'd rush down that produce department. I'd grab the iceberg lettuce, which was the most new, you know, as the, the least amount of nutrients of anything in that aisle, I'd throw it in my cart and off to the rest of the grocery store. I would go. Honestly, I had never really spent a whole lot of time in my produce department. I might occasionally buy a banana or an apple, but that was yeah. pretty much the extent of it. And so I really had to get comfortable with my produce department. But to answer your question, I, we tried an organic garden 
And God bless those farmers because it's a lot of work. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. We actually have two garden plots, though. We, Good we, for we, you. We do grow vegetables in season, and it's it's nice. And we also have a you know we we participate in a couple of CSAs with yeah. local farms that we support. We, yeah, we do that too. I love to support the local farmers. Absolutely. Yeah. And and there's a big there's a big movement now towards local sustainable regional cuisine. And that's mm-hmm. so important because everywhere, but in America, there mm-hmm. is regional cuisine. Mm-hmm. And America, for some reason, we just we just never developed it. But when you look at Italy, there is, you know, uniquely it- Italian food. There mm-hmm. is uniquely Russian food. There's uniquely Scandinavian food. But America just, you know, hot dogs, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uni- yeah, that's uniquely America, for sure. Hot dogs and <laughs> apple pie, you know, I mean... <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. So you had, you had rheumatoid arthritis. You were taking biologics. Were you taking methotrexate? Mm-hmm. Yes, I Okay. Was. So that's a, methotrexate is a chemotherapeutic agent yep. that yep. Uh, lowers the immune system yep. that is co- commonly used in rheumatoid arthritis to maintain it, to keep people from having flares. Also, one of the things that we use in rheumatoid arthritis is steroids. Were you on steroids? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. All of this was a very short time though. This was a very short okay. time. So, and, and then what you discovered as you started eating natural, whole, organic foods was that you had less joint pain. You got yes. off of the medications. All medications. And, and and you do you still have the rheumatoid factor when you get tested? I do not go and get tested. So I couldn't answer that question. <laughs> so but did, it's been you don't have any you don't have any symptoms, but you've never been tested again for rheumatoid. Never been tested again. Mm-mm, no. Okay. I, I kind of I have gone down the path of more natural type stuff. And honestly, mm-hmm. I just tu- I just turned fifty two last week or the week before. Oh, happy I've, birthday. Thank When's you so your birthday? Much. Thank you. October 29th. Mine's October 25th. No way. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that's awesome. Great. Another yeah. thing we have in common. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so you never got tested. You went down the, the natural. You turned 52 and? Feel amazing. Yeah. Feel incredible. When I tell you, I feel like I have found the fountain of youth. Other than the wrinkles, there's nothing really I can do about that. But other than that, I feel feel incredible. I have to tell you, I have more energy than my adult children who are in their twenties. You know, mom, slow down, mom, slow down. And I have to tell you, the food is the big part of it. It's not the only part of it. I think that's really important for people to understand. Mm -hmm. Food is where we start, right? Because when you feel like crap, you really can't exercise, right? So really I had to start with my nutrition because you do it multiple times a day. You take fork to mouth multiple times a day. So it makes sense that we start there. But what's Equally important is moving your body every single day, being able to manage stress, hydration, sleep. These are all very important as well. And so I I always like to tell people it's not just the food, although the food is really where everybody, I think the foundation, I think it's where everybody should start. You can't really do the other things until you start to feel a little better because when at at my worst, I couldn't get out of the bed. So you can't tell me to go for a walk or a run. That's just not going to happen. I couldn't get, I couldn't get down the stairs of my house. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had to start with the nutrition first to, you know, so I could start to just feel a little bit, a little better enough that I could go for maybe a quick walk, you know, go outside and go down the block and go for a walk. But it is important. Yeah. So, so in the minnow system, right, we, we talk about, we talk about the four, the four pillars of our minnow system, right? We start with science, which is our hormones. And then we go into the minnow mate way of eating. 
And then we have the middlemate way of moving and the middlemate way of thinking. And so yes. we have all of these things. And then, and then we, support, we support people for a whole year in making these changes because it's not, if you continue to do the same things, and that's what our brains want to do. They want to do the same yes. things over and over yes. and over. We crave yeah. the, the, the things that are familiar and, mm-hmm. and change is not familiar. And so behavior change can take, can take time. But when you start to understand the science behind it, Yes, it's, yes, it makes it easier. And when you start to see results, I mean, I've had women who've come through my program who've gotten off of most of their medications just because of the, mm-hmm. the small lifestyle changes they made. And, mm-hmm. you know, both of us are, are into natural solutions for menopause, right? If you want to take hormones, you can. That's fine. I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not against, yeah, against hormones. I don't, I don't say not to, but I just tell, like, talk about my experience with hormones and I took bioidentical hormones and started getting a period and I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> ain't ain't going to happen. <laughs> nope. I will deal. Nope. No more. Because I was, you know, I never had a normal period. I never, ever, mm-hmm. my whole history is, I mean, maybe the first time I had it, but then after that, it was like every single month. And I was like 13 when I started my period and I, every single month they were super heavy and I, and I was in pain. I had just a lot, a lot of pain. So I'd miss a day or two every single month. Mm-hmm. And it was just really awful. And so when I, when I became a resident in, in surgery, I was like, well, I can't miss, you know, two days a month. That's crazy. And, and I would also get like really snappy. And mm-hmm. so I said, okay, well, I guess I need to figure out a way to never have a period again. And I just took the, I just took the pill all the time. I never right. stopped it. Right. Right, right, right. And and while that may or may not be healthy, I just it was healthier than having a period. So that was that was pretty interesting. You talk about getting healthier as you age, and and I understand what you're talking about because like I can I can run a lot further than I could when I was yes. 18. That's awesome. Yeah, and and it's really interesting to see what what I've noticed as I age, and and I'm 56, and what I, I what I've noticed as I age is that my brain is all there. It's all the same, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but my body doesn't want to do things at, like like I used to be able to, and, and the recovery takes a little bit longer, and that's okay. that's the part that I don't like. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, and when yeah. you say recovery, what do you mean by recovery? Are you talking oh. about like soreness recovery, like muscle soreness type of recovery, or? There's that. Yeah, there's that. I mean, so... I don't lift a lot of weights. And the reason I don't is that when I lift weights, like two days later, I can't move. And so, <laughs> so I'll run all day long and I'll, I'll swim, you know, once the pool's open again and it's safe yeah. and I'll ride my bike. Yeah. I can ride my bike for hours, but lifting weights, if I do it, it doesn't hurt until like two days later, I have like this really, really bad delayed onset muscle soreness. And so I have to, I have to like get through my head that, okay, it's going to go away. It always does. But you know, it, that's but that's that's usually the 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 thing that dry, that keeps me from lifting. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And do you have you worked with a trainer? I have a. Oh yeah. I mean, I have okay, a I have okay. a triathlon coach who, who assigns my workouts. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, good. yeah, yeah. That's so good. that's a lot of fun. What would you tell someone who's looking to? like kind of get what you got. Okay. So you mean as far as the good health? Oh, yeah. And get out of, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, you talk about rheumatoid arthritis, right? The rheumatoid mm-hmm. arthritis is an autoimmune disease and we're seeing more and more autoimmune diseases. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. In the last 20, 30 years. And when you see how much vegetable oil is in our diets, you know, when you mm-hmm. go out and eat something that's fried from a restaurant without question, that's vegetable oil because they're odorless, tasteless, tasteless and cheap, but they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're horrible, horrible for you. Mm-hmm. They, do, yep. they, they cause a lot of damage. But in yep. frying, frying just about anything causes a lot of damage. It's just not, yes, it's it not good for us. That's right. So somebody with rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, eczema, 
psoriasis, excuse me, these, these are all autoimmune diseases, Hashimoto's, okay? And so what, what would you say is the very first step someone should take? Okay, that's they... awesome. I, I love that. I love that question because people think they start here, you have to start here, and maybe their goal is all the way up here. Well, you can't make that jump. You can't do that in one big leap. So you have right. to take small steps. And it's really important because when I, you know, when I work with women, they think they can get from here to here really quickly. And it's, it's not. When I tell people how I started, th this is literally how I started. One green smoothie a day. That, that's the only thing I did. That is the only change I made because honestly, I was so overwhelmed. I couldn't, I couldn't possibly think of doing anything else. So I just stuck to, and I committed to that, that, that I never went a day without my green smoothie. That was what I started with. And once I felt like that just became habit, it was just something I was even doing without even thinking about it. Then I added in that a next step. So if somebody were to ask me, what could I possibly do? I would say, start, start drinking a green smoothie every single day. You're basically flooding your body with all those amazing nutrients and just just do that until you don't feel overwhelmed anymore, until you feel like you can add in one more thing. And then come back to me and we'll talk about that next thing. But don't focus on... <laughs> a salad in a jar. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If you prefer a salad, then a salad a day. That either somehow get those greens in your diet, those fresh mm -hmm. greens in your diet. I say smoothie because for most people, it's just an easier thing for them to do. You know, throw everything in a blender, blend it up, and it, you can take it in the car. It's portable, you know, that kind of thing. So if somebody's truly just starting out, we're starting at ground zero, that is really the first thing that I would tell them to do and drink more water because you're going to need that. You're going to be probably eating a lot more fiber than you've been used to and you're mm -hmm. going to need something to help get that through your system. So I'd say green smoothie and start drinking water throughout the whole day. Lots of water, lots of water. Yeah, uh, it's, and, and it's hard to drink too much water. There is a, there's a condition called polydipsia that can cause decreased like, You're talking about too much water when you drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think polydipsia, I think is what oh, it is, the, the, is the, it. Okay. The, the medical term. I might be wrong. But okay. but even if I'm not wrong, it's okay. Uh, but it can cause it can cause decreased sodium, and and yes, that can be yes. life threatening if you drink right. too much water. But that's a that's usually for a psychological issue. Mm -hmm. Up to up to four to five liters of water per mm -hmm. day per person is okay. And mm -hmm. so if you think of if you think a gallon is about what is that about two liters, two and a half liters, mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I this is this is a two liter bottle. I drink yeah. these, drink one and a half to two of these every single day. I just awesome. Do. That is awesome. And, and you know what? The, what you just said, I just do it. That's habit for you. That's a habit for you. For a lot of yeah. people, for a lot of women, it's hard to even think about. So we start out, when I work with women, it literally is starting out with a smoothie every day and water. That's, that's the first step. Because mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't want women to get overwhelmed. Because once we get overwhelmed, we throw our hands in the air and, and nope, not, you know, we just don't do anything then. And so yeah. it's really important, I think, to start very slowly, especially for women who are you know, feeling overwhelmed. Yeah, I like that. And and remember, when it comes to overwhelm, overwhelm comes from the way we choose to view the item, whatever it is, we, the way, mm -hmm. the story that we're telling ourselves about yes. that. And so mm -hmm. it's really important to examine, well, what am I saying about this situation that is causing me to feel overwhelmed? Because overwhelm is a state of mind. It's a choice. It is. Not to, not to you know, upset anyone here, but, but you know, we do have control over the story stories we choose to tell ourselves. And so yes, we do. it's it's so important for us to examine those stories. You know, what what a lot of people think is that if I don't have my diet so 
soda, then I'm going to get fat. But what, what we don't, what we're starting to realize as the research comes in is that the pancreas, which is the responsible, the, the organ that's responsible for insulin, and insulin is what dr- keeps our blood sugar at a normal level, the pancreas can't tell the difference between a non-nutritive sweetener and sugar or mm-hmm. fructose or you know honey or maple mm-hmm. syrup, any of them. That means that if you eat something sweet that tastes sweet to your taste buds, your pancreas is going to release that insulin anyway. And so anything, even if it's a diet soda, is going to mm-hmm. lead to insulin resistance. And insulin resistance is why we have so much type 2 diabetes in this country. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I find when, when we, when we come to, you know, when we're talking about diet and lifestyle changes, which is what I primarily focus on, Mm -hmm. when we talk about, think about crowding our diets with the good stuff. Let's not focus on what we need to take out. Because a lot of times when I say to women, look, I want you to drink this really big green smoothie, sip it throughout the day. Don't, you know, especially if you're new to getting all of that fiber in your diet, you know, be drinking your water. They'll come back. Inevitably, they come back to me and they're like, I actually was so full. I didn't have two out of my four Diet Cokes that I normally have. That is amazing progress. You just yeah. cut your Diet Cokes in half without even focusing on me telling you, you need to take your Diet Cokes out of your diet. We're focusing on just crowding your diet. And once you fill your belly with all that good stuff, you're not going to want the bad stuff. And it's funny because that happens, that happens a lot, actually. And so, again, yeah. going back to that mindset, you know, let's not focus on what we have to take out. Let's focus on what we're going to crowd your diet with. What are we putting into your diet? That's, that's really helpful. And, and the other thing that happens, I think, when we start to make these changes is we start to feel better and then we start to move our bodies more, which then yeah. is this self-perpetuating cycle of feeling better. But it's so subtle we don't see it. Mm-hmm. And because when we're feeling good, we don't realize, we, we forget that we were feeling bad before. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's it, and we're not very good judges of what's really going on. And so, and so like, like when you start to make these little teeny changes that, that yes. can have such a big, big, big impact. And then you say, you come back to the coach or, or you come back into my program and you say, well, I'm not really doing that well. And you say, well, wait a minute, weren't you the one like just a couple weeks <laughs> ago or a couple months ago who couldn't get off the couch or was taking all these medications and now you're not. And so, so it's important, I think, during, during the cycle of change to celebrate every single victory. And that's why we focus on what you're going to put into your diet, not so much what you're going to take out. Absolutely. I love that. Absolutely love that. The other thing I love too, is women are becoming, it's empowering them. They are becoming more aware of their own bodies too, which I think, you know, not to bash the medical system, but I think that's one thing. It's such a disservice we do to women is that we, they, they believe they need this exterior, you know, system or, you know, person to help them when really, and I tell women this all the time, you are your best nutritionist. I don't know how you're going to feel after you eat that. Even healthy food, you might, you might eat spinach and it may not agree with you, but you are the one who has to tune into your body and the signals that it gives you. You are your best nutritionist. You are the one who's going to know if this is working for you or not. And I love empowering women like that. I love when they come back and, and they say, I had no idea that, you know, I eat this and it makes me feel good or I eat this and it makes me feel bad. And I'm like, that's empowerment. That's knowing yourself. That's taking care of your body. And I love when women can start to do that. And not only that, but that can really help women, not just women, but anyone, anyone who's listening here, change your relationship with food. When you start to pay attention to how something makes you feel before you eat it, when you're eating it, after you eat it, that's the key right Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And yeah, if I can interject really fast too, what's really important is how you eat it. 
And let me give you an example. You could drink all the kale smoothies in the world that you want, but if you're drinking them under stress, it's not going to do your body any good. Your body's not going to absorb those nutrients the way they would if you were drinking that food or eating that food in a calmer state. So that's really important too. So I love to you know, tell women, look, I know we live busy lives, but you've got to slow down and eat a meal. Eat a meal, break bread with friends, break bread with family. I mean, you need to sit down and eat that meal, not stuffing it in our face as we're on the go, running out the door to go, you know, run to the job or drop this kid off here or meet the spouse here or whatever it is. Sit down and enjoy that meal. There's a big difference. Like I said, you can drink that kale smoothie all day long, but if you're under stress doing it, it's like I mean, I, a whopper. I will say that I put kale in my smoothies, but the best kale is the kale in the garbage. <laughs> I do not like no. kale. I do not like kale. I mean, I'll put it in my smoothies and that's okay, but it's it's really has a strong flavor. There, there's a wilted kale salad that we make that 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 is okay. Yeah. But yeah. I kale is it's it's hard. It's hard to eat. I mean, I like I eat a lot of greens. I, I eat collard greens and I eat I eat awesome. you know just about you know spinach and, and all those things. But awesome. yeah, it's it's one thing I like to tell tell people in, in my group is that when when you fill your plate with vegetables you're going to get full from those vegetables mm-hmm. and now you have cravings, you know, and then mm-hmm. yeah. chocolate ever again or, or potato. Right. Exactly. But exactly. it's, it's just a matter of like trying to understand what does this mean to me? How do I, how do I make this, you know, mean something different? Like every time I eat a brownie, it's my mom. I think about my mom. Every time I eat potato mm-hmm. chips, I think about my dad. And those are just hardwired stories that, mm-hmm. that, you know, from, mm-hmm. from emotional experiences that happened. Mm-hmm. There's no, no other way of, of changing that. We may know that something is really bad for us. It's like alcohol. Yes, absolutely. Alcohol. I had, I, I had a bad relationship with alcohol during those years, you know, and it's, you know, th- they are, it's, you know, I'm, I'm not, it's not like I don't know what addiction means. You know, I mean, I smoked a pack of cigarettes a day or a pack and a half of cigarettes a day for that matter for, you know, over 10 years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to give up those things. It really is. But I always, you know, when you can switch that mindset and I don't really focus and, you know, you get to this point after you've been doing it for a while, I don't really focus on, I don't miss those things because I know what they did to my body. I know how it was damaging my body. And mm-hmm. I'm so much more careful about how I take care of myself now than I was, you know, than I did, let's say 20 years ago, 25 years ago. So I think, you know, I think as we get older, you know, I think I really, I think about the quality of life that I want to have, you know, I may live 20 more years, but if I got to live those 20 years, you know, in a wheelchair, not doing anything, well, to me, that's not quality of life. I want quality of life. You know, I want to be able to be running around. I want my kids to still be saying in 20 years, Hey mom, slow down. You're 70, but slow down, mom. <laughs> yeah, so they think that's really important that that we have this opportunity through the disruption of menopause to really be conscious about creating the rest of our lives. Yes. And this is this is our opportunity to do that. And one way that we can make sure that we have a longer life is to pay attention to what we choose to put in our mouths. And that includes smoking. And so let's let's touch upon smoking for a second. Sure. I smoked. I smoked a lot. I mean, I smoked my first cigarette. I was six years old. Both my parents smoked. I smoked as a teenager and I smoked all through medical school and residency. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, 12, 13 years of smoking. And in my chief resident year, I took Wellbutrin. I took a lot of it. I took like 300 milligrams twice a day for a while, which is, you know, bad because it can like reduce your, and I didn't know I was taking too much, but it can reduce your seizure threshold. But after three days, I didn't want to smoke at all. Mm. And so I'm not recommending that you take that, please. This is not medical advice. I'm telling you what I did and what I did was wrong. It's just right. what happened for me. But I just didn't want to smoke. And it was I, my urge to not smoke 
smoke was so strong, my, my desire to quit smoking was so strong that I was able to go outside with the smokers and not even mm-hmm. want to smoke. And I never smoked since. So I think, I think when it comes to smoking, smoking is probably the number one thing that is preventable, you know, that causes health problems. And it causes health problems all the way from obviously lung cancer and, mm-hmm. and lung issues to autoimmune problems. And of course, the tobacco industry doesn't want to admit it, even mm-hmm. though we know it causes cancer and it's been proven. But it isn't just that. You're, you're putting this glowing ember of chemicals and smoke into your lungs. And it's so satisfying getting that first hit. Oh, you know, the nicotine, because we have nicotine receptors in our nervous system. We want that. This is addiction. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to quitting smoking, what, what is your number one tip? I think my number one tip would be the same as it is for any type of change that you're making to your lifestyle. And I think you really have to get clear on why you want to do it. Why do you want to quit? Why do you want to quit smoking? Why do you want to quit alcohol? Why do you want to quit your addiction to fast food? I think you have to really get clear on your why. It's almost like you have to hit what I like to say rock bottom. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of what happened to me was that rock bottom was my daughter standing at my bedside. Why can't you take care of us? That was my rock bottom. I thought this is not the mom that I had ever imagined I was going to be. And my kids are going to grow up with a very sickly mom. And so that, you know, I got really crystal clear on my why. And that was the, that was the thing that helped me be able to make the changes. Now the changes weren't easy just because I figured out what my why was. Change change is hard. Oh my goodness. Quitting smoking was difficult. It really was. But I had to keep going back to my why. And my why was my kids. That was -hmm. was my why. And I had to say, well, they're either going to grow up with a sickly mom or a healthy mom. And that's my choice. That is within my control. And if I light this cigarette up, then, you know, I'm I'm heading down that path of unhealthy. The other thing too that I, you know, we talk about this a lot, like with the women that I work with, you're really going to only be able to do it for so long on willpower. That's really, that's only going to get you so far, willpower. Yeah, yeah willpower so, doesn't last very long. You no, have to doesn't. have a bigger reason. Exactly. You have to have a bigger yeah. reason. And the other thing too is that willpower is one, let's say if we're talking about food, let's say we're talking about the Oreos, that willpower is one in the grocery store, in that grocery aisle. It's not one in your pantry. So, yeah. you know, and that was the same with smoking. I couldn't have the cigarettes. I couldn't have them in the house. Like I just had to have, you know, I had to go through all my old purses, ditch them. I had to go through, you know, every place I had kept a pack of cigarettes, I had to ditch them. And it's the same thing with food. It's the exact same thing. That 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 is one in the grocery store. It's not one in your kitchen pantry. Because if it's there, man, you're going to, you know, it's a lot harder. Because we'll it, it is. take you so far. And I'll tell you, if I had my choice, you know, I, I, I don't live alone. I've got a family. And my family likes potato chips. But if it were up to me, I wouldn't even have potato chips in my house. Because mm-hmm. I eat them. If they're out, I'll, I'll eat them. Very once, every once yeah. in a while, I won't. But for the most part, if they're out, I mean, I ate them today. My son was having his breakfast. He chose to have potato chips with it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have some of these. I had one handful, then I had another, then I had that. Because yeah. that is just, you know, my pattern. I really, really love it. Right, right, so right. It's, it's, it's just so important to go back to the why and, mm-hmm. and the state of being. And sometimes mm-hmm. who am I being isn't even enough of a question. The question is more like, what is, you know, what is my overarching reason for, for, for doing something? Why am I, th- you know, what am I thinking about? But, you know, we all, we all just fall into, into behaviors and, and yes. changing, yes. changing, changing behaviors hard. It's just hard. Very hard. That's, it is that's, very hard. That's why you yep. need a coach. That's why you need yes, a coach exactly. to get yourself uh, into, into some yes. help with your behavior change. And that's, yes. that's, that's what we do in, in our yes. businesses. And that's awesome. Yeah. So absolutely. this is, this has been great. So was there anything else you were hoping to share? 
before we close? Yeah, I guess the one thing that I always like to close with is, and I guess because I was there so long ago, I don't want to see women give up hope. So I see so often, especially as we're going through menopause, we've been, there's this huge myth out there that as we age and as we go through these years, this, these are phases that were, you know, these are normal phases as part of getting older, but feeling like crap all the time is not a normal part of aging and do right. not let anybody tell you that it is. And so, you know, how we change that can look different for everybody, but we have way more power, way more control of our health than we have ever been led to believe. And so I don't want women to give up hope. That's always something that I always like to end with is just don't give up hope. There is, there is hope that you can yeah. feel better, that you can age well. Menopause is the privilege of a long life. Oh yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I yeah. love that. It's I the privilege that. of a long life. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know, suffering. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. Suffering is optional. And that's yes. that's what we teach in the program. Love it. So Love it. Where, can, where can people find you? You can find me at prepforhealth.com and that's uh, prep, P-R-E-P with the number four, prepforhealth.com. Awesome. All right. Well, Yay. thanks so much for coming on to the Menopause Movement Podcast today. Uh, thank you so much for having me. This was such a great conversation. Did you know that menopause is not a medical condition? Most doctors don't know this either. I like to say that menopause is the privilege of a long life. And to really take hold of our lives in menopause, we have to unlearn what society and the medical establishment has told us about menopause. This is why I've created this brand new course called Understanding Your Hormones and Managing Your Menopause. I want to show you how you can get on top of your menopause right now so that you can start to see it as the best time of your life. Now, this course is valued at $500 and is in the beta testing phase. And we're currently accepting applications for women to test it out for us at no charge in exchange for feedback and testimonials. But the best part is because you're a podcast listener, you can bypass the application process and go straight to the front of the line. To register right now, simply visit menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones and we can get started together right now. Remember, you can get started right now at no charge to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials when you go to menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones, and I'll see you inside the course. Thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. Mm -hmm.